Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day. My contributor, none other than attorney at law, Dina Saeed Dahl, law and crime legal analyst should be a great, great breakdown. Got a lot of legal cases to discuss today. Top story of the day, Lindsey Dam Graham, the senator says he doesn't care that he has a subpoena to testify in the state of Georgia. Grand jury issued a subpoena, a judge signed it. Let's put up a picture of the district attorney who is investigating Donald Trump, former president, for his crime of trying to overturn the Georgia election. Now in Georgia, it is against the law to attempt to persuade an elected official or any other official in relation to an election. That is the DA, her name is Fonnie Willis. She's an African American female. She decided to put together a special purpose grand jury to investigate the matter. This grand jury has amazing investigative authority. They can last for roughly 12 months. They also have the ability to subpoena individuals and they can ask and subpoena individuals who are not targets of the investigation. A judge simply has to sign off if the subpoena goes outside of the state of Georgia. That's exactly what happened. Now, according to the DA, she's not playing games. Here's a direct quote. Anything's possible, Fonnie Willis said, in response to a question about whether Donald Trump himself could be subpoenaed. We'll just have to see whether the investigation, where the investigation leads us. I think that people thought that we came into this as some kind of game. <laughs> Let me read that quote again, cuz I just love it. She said, I think that people thought that we came into this as some kind of game. In other words, we're not playing games with these white folks. That's what she's saying. There's more. She continued, this is not a game at all. What I am doing is very serious. It's very important and we're going to do our due diligence and making sure that we look at all aspects of the case. Now, damn it, she needs to be the Attorney General. Now, just imagine if she was the AG right now instead of Merrick Garland. Just think about that, okay? Senator Lindsey Graham intends to fight the subpoena for his testimony in the Georgia investigation over potential criminal interference in the state's 2020 election, according to a statement from his attorneys. Now, let's put up the picture of Brad Raffensperger, the chief elections officer. You remember in the recorded conversation when Donald Trump told Brad Raffensperger that he needed to find additional votes. And Brad Raffensperger, the chief elections officer, said, no, Mr. President, your numbers are wrong. There are not additional votes. There was no voter fraud, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Trump continued to pressure not only him, but also one of his top investigators in the office. But here's the thing, Lindsey Graham, the reason why he doesn't want to testify as a witness is because he knows he's a criminal. You see, Lindsey Graham did the exact same thing. Lindsey Graham also called Raffensperger. Lindsey Graham did exactly what Trump did, but he did it first. Lindsey Graham may say something under oath that absolutely creates a criminal penalty. A special grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia wants the South Carolina Republican to testify about at least two December phone conversations he had with the Secretary of State Raffensperger 
and rappers, Rappenberger staff following former Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump's loss in 2020. So a pair of attorneys from the law firm, Nelson Mullins, said they had spoken to investigators in Fulton County who consider Graham neither a subject nor target of the investigation, simply a witness. The attorneys, Bart Daniel and Matt Austin, said Wednesday that this is all politics and called the investigation a fishing expedition that is working with the committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. As chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Graham was well within his rights to discuss with state officials the processes and procedures around administering elections, the attorney state. Should it stand, the subpoena issued today would erode the constitutional balance of power and the ability of a member of Congress to do their job. Now, they're not citing law, they're not citing the Constitution. They're citing something that they just believe should happen. They're saying, oh, you know, this this would just erode at the congressional oversight and, and the balance of power. They're just making stuff up, they're freestyling, all right? This is nowhere codified in a statute. This does not exist in a constitutional dynamic whatsoever. Georgia officials, now understand why they're saying they need Lindsey Graham. Georgia officials allege that during the telephone calls, all right, during these calls, Senator Graham questioned Secretary Raffensperger and his staff about reexamining certain absentee ballots cast in Georgia in order to explore the possibility of a more favorable outcome for former President Donald Trump, according to the certificate to secure what's called an out of state witness. Here's why that's important. The grand jury does not have the authority to directly subpoena an out of state witness. In order to subpoena an out of state witness, it must be signed by a judge. And the judge looked at the request from the grand jury and said, yes, I agree with you. This is a witness material to your investigation. So you don't simply have the power of the DA's office or the power of the grand jury. You also have the power of the judge who signed it, a superior court judge who signed this subpoena. The certificate also says that Senator Graham possesses unique knowledge of the substance of the calls. The circumstances surrounding his decision to make the calls and the logistics of setting up the calls. It also said Senator Graham has knowledge about any coordination of the calls with the Trump campaign and other known and unknown individuals involved in the multi-state coordinated efforts to influence the results of the November 2020 election in Georgia and elsewhere. Graham was one of seven individuals the grand jury issued subpoenas for. It also includes John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani and others. Quite fascinating, quite interesting that an individual can simply say no to a subpoena. Now, if you get a traffic summons and you don't show up to court, well, they're gonna issue a warrant for your arrest. Here's what's fascinating. While this would be an infraction, meaning ignoring a subpoena, that's that's an infraction, that's a no-no. But infractions are only as strong as enforcement. Is the judge willing to hold Lindsey Graham in contempt of court if he decides to snub this subpoena. That's the direction you have to go in. And if I were the DA right now, 
I would say very clearly, people who do not answer our subpoenas will have a warrant for their arrest. And we enforce extradition to pick your ass up anywhere in this country. And that's how you play ball. All right, Ms. Dahl, thoughts on this? Gosh, so many thoughts. For one, I think this Georgia investigation, as you said, is not playing. And it's probably the strongest investigation about any of Trump's activities that may result in any kind of criminal charge. And just to kind of back up for your viewers, what a grand jury is doing is they're deciding whether or not there's probable cause to charge. Some jurisdictions require grand juries, but usually it's also just done in a high profile case like this. It gives the prosecutor a chance to kind of test the strength of their case before they charge. So if they come back, then they are just charging it. And then there's a whole trial to decide guilt or innocence. I think Senator Graham's argument, like you said, is really his argument is above the law. Somehow being a senator doesn't make him subject to subpoena power. That is going to go nowhere. I mean, you can fight a subpoena based on things like maybe it's overly broad, right? Or unduly burdensome. They didn't say that in their quotes because probably it's not true. Most likely, I think what will happen is, like you said, he probably doesn't want to be held in contempt of court. He will probably end up showing up because I don't think he has good ground to fight this. And he'll end up taking the fifth because those calls could subject him to criminal prosecution. And then it's going to be about what kind of questions can the DA get that he can't take the fifth for. And maybe they can still get some information around that that's helped them helpful to them in their investigation. You, you are so spot on. Obviously, the government cannot compel you to make statements against yourself. You cannot be compelled by the government to do so. But I do believe there's a way here to get Lindsey Graham on the record where there's an immunity factor applied and he simply has to answer the questions. We'll see if they go that far. All right, once again, this kind of grand jury is allowed to investigate for 12 months straight. So this is going to be a chess match, not a checkers game. corpse, the dead body of Mr. Jalen Walker was handcuffed when delivered to the medical examiner's office. They literally killed an unarmed black man and then handcuffed the corpse and delivered the corpse to the medical examiner's office in that condition. Let's put up the picture of Mr. Jalen Walker. That young black male should be alive today. For those who need to be reminded about the 60 bullets that went inside of his body and the 90 bullets that were shot, here it is. This tragedy started over a routine traffic stop according to the report. We know now that Mr. Walker had just lost his fiance. He was struggling emotionally. No criminal activity we know of as far as the cops being in danger was present during the time of his shooting. Now what they will do is they will present a narrative that says, well, he had a gun in the car. They picked up a firearm that was discharged and that somehow creates the context for them to run somebody down 
and shoot a person when they have no gun, when they are unarmed. According to the medical examiner's report, the preliminary report submitted by the Summit County Medical Examiner's Office contains several pages of thumbnail photos showing Mr. Walker dead and handcuffed at the scene and after his body arrived at the coroner's office as well. The photos also contain evidence of life-saving efforts, including what appeared to be bandages attached to and lying around his body. Photos taken at the medical examiner's office hours after the shooting show Walker in the body bag and subsequently on the examining examining table. The photo show dozens of gunshot wounds from his ankle to his cheek on both sides of his body. Photographs of the report also show items such as Walker's driver's license and bloody set of handcuffs. A final autopsy report will be turned over to the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigations, which is investigating any criminal wrongdoing by the officers. The autopsy report will be part of what the state attorney general's office considers for presenting a case to a grand jury. So the eight officers um, have not been identified. They're playing hide the pickle with those cops. We do something here at Indisputable. When you try to hide public officials from accountability and scrutiny, then we put up the picture of the individual in charge. Let's put up the picture of the chief. Uh, That's the chief, his name is Stephen Milet. Now, once again, let me remind everybody, just because it may be time or may be an opportunity for you to see a judge, that does not mean you have to see a maker. That's not how we do it here. Mr. Walker, if he had a firearm and it discharged at some point, he should have had the element, the opportunity of due process. When the government says, We need to take away either life, liberty, or property from a person. They must go through due process. Bottom line, no cop was in danger when Mr. Walker was killed. Don't let them make you lose focus on that fact. Ms. Dahl, thoughts here. The fact that kind of hit me the most was just the lack of humanity that they handcuffed him after shooting him 60 times. We know there's 60 bullet wounds in his body and they're approaching him after the fact and he's laying on the ground and they still are handcuffing him. And that is, I think, speaks volumes, right? Because there are so many facts they're going, they're going to delve into here, right? Was it justified? Was there a gun? Was it, you know, all those things that you mentioned. But, you know, why would you ever handcuff somebody that you just finished shooting 60 times? If you are in any way trying to honor the dignity of that person's life or just acknowledge the humanity of that person. And so to me, that fact is very revealing. Yeah, very revealing about their own psychology, how they looked at this individual who was a corpse and they still handcuffed him. All right, we're gonna continue to follow the story, obviously. Very sad situation, cops kill a young woman in a mental health crisis. Let's put up a picture, her name is Jada. Jada Johnson, 22 years of age, was shot and killed in front of her grandfather while having a mental health crisis. This is according to CBS 17. Rick Iwanski is calling for the arrest of the Fayetteville officers involved in his granddaughter's killing. Per the grandfather's account, 
the young 22-year-old Jada Johnson was holding a firearm but threatened to only kill herself, not the officer. She was suicidal. She was going through a mental health crisis. So officers arrived at the grandfather's home in response to a call about a break-in. The grandfather told reporters his granddaughter has suffered from a mental illness and was just released from a psychiatric hospital. Ms. Johnson had been convinced her ex-boyfriend was going to break into the house and try to kill her. Once officers arrived, the grandfather tried to explain, listen, my granddaughter is having a mental health crisis. He tried to explain, my granddaughter's having a bad day. She's having a tough time right now, but things escalated. The Fayetteville Police Department told CBS 17 the officers pled with Miss Ada Johnson for an hour to try to get her to put down the gun and get the help she wanted. The grandfather called the incident egregious and said that the officer who killed Johnson should go to jail per the report. Let me say this, we've done so many of these stories where law enforcement, one, they're not trained to deal with mental health crisis and that's a policy dynamic. Two. Many of them lack the decency and humanity to just wait it out. I mean, goodness, I would wait 20 hours. I would wait until I just fell out and could not stay up to make sure somebody survived. They don't have that mindset, all right? They got a shift to end. They come with guns rather than non-lethal device or even training or maybe let's say a mental health professional. Somebody to actually talk to the individual who understands a mental health crisis, but instead we have somehow decided in this country that we need to put all of our public safety trust in the police. They are not your public safety measure. So many black lives were taken by police who did not know what to do, what to say, or how to talk someone off the edge. The last thing a mentally ill individual needs is an officer pointing a gun at them. Reports say the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation will be looking into the incident. Let me give you another situation that has recently come back to the forefront of the narrative. An inquest jury found on Wednesday that two Seattle police officers were justified in fatally shooting a mentally unstable pregnant black mother of four inside of her apartment when she menaced them with knives. This was back in 2017, there was an investigation. Now they're saying it was justified. Once again, they did not utilize non-lethal devices, even though they yelled taser, they started firing a gun. There was no mental health professional negotiating at the scene, why? Denver is among several US cities working to develop an alternative emergency responder model for people who are experiencing mental health crisis. As police officers fatally shoot hundreds of people experiencing mental health crisis every year, according to a Washington Post database of fatal shootings by on-duty police officers. Since 2015, police have fatally shot nearly 1,400 people with mental illnesses. That's according to that database. Now, let me remind you, out of those 1,400, all of them should be alive. Meaning they had no malicious intent to kill a cop. They needed help, they did not need a bullet. Now, if we're not able to look at the hard data here and realize that police departments must evolve 
to match communities that need certain things. If we don't realize the data is saying that what we have done in policing is totally adversarial to the protection of community, then nothing will. The data is right here. There are family members who are still grieving because they called 911 thinking 911 was coming to help their granddaughter and they killed him. All right, uh, Dina, thoughts here? I've also covered so many cases like this. And a lot of times it is the family member who needs help, but they don't want that kind of help. And that is, you know, sometimes we kind of complain about lawyers and all of the how litigious our society is. But it takes often lawsuits and big money payouts for police departments to change or cities, frankly, to want to allocate their budgets differently. Because we have a mental health crisis in this country. Guns are going to become even more rampant with the Supreme Court's rulings. Those two things are combustible. And we have to have a willingness to realize that absolutely somebody, a police officer with a gun is not equipped to handle a mental health crisis. And a family may want protection from their family member or may want help from that family member. And they have no place else to go. And that's a problem that shouldn't exist. We have some somebody you can call if there's a fire, right? We have some place to go if you need an education. Why do we not have some support system that a family member can reach out to when they are having a mental health crisis? That is that is a, an emergency situation. And there's such a vacuum for the support we're giving people right now. Yeah, and a model that's already working is Ithaca, New York. I highlight them often. I had a great conversation with the former mayor of Ithaca, New York, who implemented these programs. But they looked at their data, they looked at their 911 calls and said, wait a minute, roughly 50% of our 911 calls do not even require an actual cop. So what did they do? They started creating a department that reflected the needs of the community. That's how you do this. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Okay, let me highlight something, very excited. Fubo TV, all right, Fubo TV. TYT is now part of Fubo TV's new bundle and elite and ultimate channel plans. I don't know what that means, but it sounds exciting, damn it. Find TYT on Fubo TV by using the search tool or visiting tyt.com forward slash. Fubo TV. All right. A lot of comments. I will read as many as I can. Thank you all for joining the show in this way. Greyhound Dragon says, Pump for Dr. Richard today. It's been two months since I was able to listen to his show, helping my mom recover from spinal surgery. She's doing much better now. Good to hear that, by the way. And I might scream with joy when he says, I wish you Karen would. Hold on. It's coming. All right. Uh, glad to hear that your mom is recovering. Uh, Mickey C, the Silverhead Dragon says, poor Lindsay, there is nothing that Republicans fear and hate more than a strong, intelligent, outspoken woman. Well, except if she's all those things in black besides. He has to be in his diapers. Yeah. Um, Garden Dragon says, but Dr. Richard, don't worry. Nobody's above the law. All of us could ignore a subpoena and afford to pay for numerous appeals aided by a band of expensive lawyers. I'm sure my social security income would pay for that. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Ravenhawk, thank you for being a member for two months. Hey, yo, love y'all. Hit the thumbs up and 
Antigua Assemble. That's right, anti-Karens. Gaby Mats or Mathis, member for two months as well. Love your show, Doc Hearts. Thank you so much for that. Welcome to Indisputable, Megan Ann. Don't forget, don't forget you can now join and become a member, a member of Indisputable. Go to the YouTube page, click join. All right, figure out what level you would like to connect. Love to see you there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're my friend. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Why did you cut the line? Why did you cut the line? Really don't appreciate you calling me a bitch, but next time just make the line. Dude, like, can I help you? You're really gonna hit my car. Look at her, how close she is to my car. Look at her. And she has her own business, y'all. Like, someone with a business really shouldn't be acting like this. What's her business called? There you go, pet, pet something. Someone with a business should not be acting that way. You have your own, you have your own business and you're really. That's what you don't know about me, bitch. Okay, say hi to TikTok. People are gonna watch you and your business, we so I really hope. I really hope you're. As we could to get in, we have a load of dogs that need to get to. The that's why you wake up early. You wake up earlier, ma'am. I've been in line no, since 9 a.m. I've been up since 6:30 a.m. So have I. And these dogs came all the way from Rosemary. It's okay. It's okay. Everyone's gonna see how you acted and how you're acting. knows me, bitch. And this was when she cut the line. You could see her because her business logo is on the side. Karenicity and this one runs deep. Yes, she is in violation. Okay, she's cutting the line. I cannot stand people who cut lines, all right? But according to this Karen, she had a reason. She has a bunch of dogs, they need to get somewhere. And that's why she's privileged enough to cut the line. Fascinating logic only makes sense in Karen world. Miss Dahl. Is it okay, as long as you got a bunch of dogs that need to get somewhere, for you to start going in traffic and cutting in the line? You know, my first thought was, does she not have air conditioning? You know, <laughs> I mean, I could see what maybe if not, but her windows are rolled up. She probably has air conditioning. The dogs are probably fine. She just doesn't want to wait in the line. Who likes to wait in line? I don't like to wait in line, but unfortunately, if we all cut, like it would be chaos, right? So. You know, we all kind of have to follow the rules so that everyone else, um, you know, doesn't suffer as a result of us. You know, like you said, feeling privileged enough to do what we need to think we yeah. should. Interesting. Let's put up the picture of the Karen full mass here. Okay. I think it's interesting her um, her choice of eyewear. Uh, so here's the thing, Karen. I'm sure somebody would get this to you. Okay. You got to be decent to people. You gotta be decent, right? I understand you got somewhere to go. It's probably an emergency for you, I guess. Uh, But once you decide to engage in the way you did, well, we get wind of it and we try to provide a mirror. It's really to help you, Karen, and to help all the Karens around the world. We provide a mirror for reflection and correction. All right, very sad story, straight A student was falsely accused of stealing a bike off duty cop comes and does this to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, can you get off my 
Put up a picture of this cop who falsely accused a young teenage scholar, a straight A student, of stealing a bike. Keep his picture up. Chicago police, they have now opened an internal investigation after a man claiming to be an off duty officer was captured on cell phone, pinning a teenager to the ground outside a Starbucks in Park Ridge. While the off duty cops, uh, name has yet to be released. It has been confirmed by the Park Ridge Police Department that he is in fact a Chicago police sergeant. Sergeant means he's a supervisor. It also means he's been there a long time. Let's put up a picture of the 14 year old victim of this off duty cop. The 14 year old victim who by the way is of Puerto Rican heritage is a straight A student three sport athlete and active member of his youth ministry. One of the most amazing teenagers in the United States of America, okay? So what led up to this off duty cop deciding to harass and criminally assault this 14 year old scholar? In a Facebook post, the child's mother, Nicole Naives of Park Ridge, says it happened on Friday when the child moved a bike that was blocking the sidewalk. So understand where this came from. He moved a bike that was blocking the sidewalk. She said the man apparently believed he was stealing the bike even though the teenager had a bike at his side. Now wait a minute, you're supposed to be a whole sergeant at a police department, you're a detective, you're an investigator. You see a 14 year old with his own bike moving another bike and you think he's going to steal the other bike while riding his own bike. Now tell me, Sergeant, how would this work in in real life? I'm not talking about on the cartoons. How would this work? What did you see happening next? Was he going to pick up the bike and then ride his own bike? Was he going to leave his bike and then steal the other bike? Was he going to lift the bike on top of his head while getting away on a bike? How did this work out in the Sergeant's mind? Allegedly, the cop's son's bike had recently been stolen from a nearby location and made the assumption that the 14 year old did it. This adult did not use words, he used force. He used his hands, grabbed our son's wrist, body slammed him, then held him with his knee to restrain him. Regardless of the circumstances, getting physical with a minor as an adult for any reason other than self-defense is unacceptable according to the mother, and I agree with the mother. In the video, you can see and hear the friends who are white defend them. They said, wait a minute, what are you doing here? So let's go to the parents of this young victim. That's Nicole and Angel who believe the attack was racially motivated. I definitely agree with them. They believe their son was racially profiled because he is because he has long curly hair and darker skin. We've talked to our three Puerto Rican boys about this moment for years. We can't 
possibly put into words how we're feeling, disgust, anger, frustration, outrage, fear, sadness. In a news conference on Wednesday, Nicole added this statement. Here's the quote, we see the bias of an off duty cop taking advantage of our brown boy with Afro hair, smaller in stature, choosing to take the law into his own hands with physical force. It's a clear abuse of his position of authority. Their son is shaken physically unharmed, however. Uh, but because of the event, they do attend to sue. I highly recommend that. Um, the child said nothing is wrong, so to speak, physically. He had committed no crime, period. He wasn't armed, he was not aggressive. He had not resisted with anybody. He was there with his bike. The officer used excessive force on a child. He escalated a situation where no aggression was necessary at all. So let me go to um, attorney Dina Dahl here. Uh, so number one, there is harm because there's emotional damage and there may be physical damage that the young child is not aware of yet because it may manifest itself later. But does the family have a solid case here of excessive force, even though the guy was an off duty cop? How does that work? You know, that's a really good question. And that is going to be the hardest part of it because they also kind of, he also kind of entrapped him. He wasn't able to leave, which is a, is a cause of action as well. Okay. Um, you know, it, he was definitely acting as a police officer. It looked like he was um, reaching into his pocket, maybe to make a phone call, maybe to call the police. So if he was, you know, if they can say that he was cooperating with them. But it, it, that's what they're gonna come back with, uh, you, that they're not liable for what a police officer does on his own time. So this is going to be a hard case for the, the parent to uh, file. But this I think is a really good example. We covered that story before where there was a transient black man who the mm -hmm. police thought was stealing a bike and he ended up getting tased like 20 something times and died that night. So you know, at minimum, this sergeant should be fired because I don't know what's going on with this excessive force around bikes. It's like crazy. Yeah. But here he is, he's got his knee on his back. You know, he clearly didn't even ask the boy what happened, or if he did, he didn't believe him. And this is how things get out of control because you target somebody when they've done something innocent, right? And then they're kind of maybe he I don't even know if this boy was resisting, but let's say you're resisting because you feel like you're being unfairly detained. And then that resistance brings more um, struggle from the police. He was about to call the police. And who knows what would have happened if that boy had been encircled and resisted and tried to explain his story, things could have gotten much worse. And yeah. so they should, if obviously he's trained to do this. And so they should be at minimum questioning, the, the police department should be questioning why their trained police officer is acting in his way like this. I think that okay. to me is, is, I would hope they wouldn't need to have a lawsuit to do that. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I highly encourage them to still file the lawsuit. Maybe there's precedent here that needs to be established. He was an off duty cop, but acting as a peace officer in that moment. All right, we have more on the other side is indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show. Let me read some of these amazing comments before I do that. Big reminder, the watch list, the big homie, J.R. Jackson. Watch the watch list weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Watch live daily and follow at facebook.com forward slash watch list TYT. And also subscribe at youtube.com forward slash watch list TYT. 
All right, Mickey C the Silverhead Dragon uh, says, that bully weighs twice as much as that kid. He has his knee on his back with his weight pressing on his ribs and lungs. They're on concrete, he could have damaged his spine, ribs and lungs. Assault and battery, false arrest, child endangerment. That's right, I agree 100%, you gotta hold cops accountable. Now remember, if they wanna claim the whole off duty thing, okay, well what would have happened if, if he's off duty, but you're saying he was not a cop, what would have happened if a regular person did that to a 14 year old? They would go to jail. So you're already proving he gets special privileges because he did not get arrested for doing that to a kid. So either he's a cop or he's not a cop. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a cop in one sense and then not a cop at the same time, all right? Okay, uh, Nostra Science, uh, the police treated the unarmed black man. They just shot to death like Jason from the film Halloween, like Jason was going to get up again. That's what I was wondering, did they think the corpse was gonna pop back to life? Of course not, it was their lack of humanity that did that, okay? All right, you know the mass shooter? Highland Park shooter. Well, according to new information, his own father helped him get the gun. Even though the father was well aware that his son was extremely dangerous. Let's put up the picture of the father who is a former mayoral candidate, politically involved. The father of the Highland Park shooter, Robert Cremo Jr. sponsored his son's application to obtain a gun even though he made numerous violent threats in the past that Robert Cremo Jr. was aware of. So since Rob Cremo was under the age of 21, according to Illinois state law, it required consent from a parent to own a firearm. Let's go to the statement. I filled out the consent form to allow my son to go through the process that the Illinois State Police have in place for an individual to obtain a FOID card, Cremo said. They do background checks, whatever that entails, I'm not exactly sure. And either you're approved or denied, and he was approved. So Rob Cremo was able to buy five firearms in 2020 and 2021. So you got multiple red flags, let's count the ways. So police came in contact with Cremo in April of 2019, following a report that he had attempted suicide. Authorities have said, and again in September of that year, when one of Cremo's family members called police saying he actually threatened to kill everyone, okay? Officers decided to take away his knives and a sword from Cremo's residence during the second encounter, but filed no charges against him. So literally you have police having to disarm this individual, you have multiple encounters with law enforcement, dangerous encounters, all right? Now, local police tried to take the incident seriously, uh, according to another narrative. That same day, in compliance with state law, local police submitted what's called a clear and present danger report to the Illinois State Police that briefly described the encounter. Now remember, what's, what is it called? It's called a clear and present danger report. The reporting form state, that such reports should be used to identify people who pose a danger if they obtain a gun or ammunition. State police said in the statement Wednesday that a reviewing officer concluded there was insufficient information for a clear and present danger determination. 
So you actually have one aspect of law enforcement working the way it is supposed to. They submit the paperwork. Paperwork gets reviewed by another cop. That cop says, mm, uh, he's fine. Let's move on. Rob Cremo was able to pass four federal background checks as a result of that review not going to the next level. Because that one cop reviewed the paperwork and said, no, it never went to the place where the federal government could have been alerted. So Robert Cremo Jr. downplays his son's alarming behavior, says making threats to the family, I think that was taken out of context. Really? Cremo said about authorities' description of the 2019 incident, it's like just a child's outburst, whatever he was upset about. And I think his sister called the police, I wasn't living there. Even after the shooting, he doesn't regret helping his son obtain the firearms. Let's go to it, he says, do I regret that? No, now remember people are dead, he still says he doesn't regret it. Now three years ago, signing a consent form to go through the process. That's all it was, say Cremo, adding that he is not worried about potential legal consequences. Had I purchased guns throughout the years and given them to him in my name, that's a different story. But he went through that whole process himself. Illinois State Police announced there will be an investigation into the father's responsibility here. A progressive activist in the Highland Park community, Rachel Watchstein. Shed, sheds insight into his involvement in white supremacist groups. I recognized him right away, the activist says, as part of the group of a local angry white young men who had previously waited for me after protest to threaten and harass me and came to a protect the results vigil on December 12th, 2020 in Highland Park, Sunset Park, where they did the Nazi salute multiple times. We also got Robert Cremo at a Trump rally, there it is, all right? The shooter is not a surprise. Don't believe the news reports, Bobby Cremo was a known agitator. And there could have been interventions before my neighbor's bodies lay across the parade route. This is a fact, there are others like him that are even more likely in my opinion to cause harm and devastation in Highland Park surrounding and surrounding communities. We know their names, we know their history of extremism. I have called the police, I've called the FBI. I have spoken out publicly and I continue to do so despite making myself a target, said the young activist. Marjorie Taylor Greene shared this, let's put up what Congresswoman Greene shared. This is a doctored photo. A doctored photo of the gunman, Rob Cremo, holding a Bible in jail in an effort to blame his drug use or a mental health issue for the shooting. Representative Green says the public should not allow this to continue. People are not stupid. Is he in jail or rehab or a psychiatric center in this photo? That's not his bedroom, 22 years old and 5'11", 120 pounds is not normal or healthy. What drugs or psychiatric drugs or both does he use? It's a damn doctored photo. She doesn't care because she's done this before. So once it was exposed, 
to Marjorie Taylor Greene, the United States Congresswoman out of Georgia. Hey, Congresswoman, this is actually a fake photo. What does she do? Does she say, you know what, my apologies, I care about the truth and I'm going to take this post down. No, she doubles down on it. She says, let's put it up, supposedly this is photoshopped. More reasons to release the records, what's wrong with him? And then she reposts the post that she now knows is completely false. This is where we're living. She also suggested that mass shootings are part of a conspiracy to force Republicans to enact gun control. Here's what the woman said. Now, here's what I have to say. I mean, two shootings on July 4th, one in a rich white neighborhood and the other at a fireworks display. It almost sounds like it's designed to persuade Republicans to go along with more gun control. I mean, after all, remember, we didn't see that happen at all the pride parades in the month of June. But as soon as we hit MAGA month, as soon as we hit the month that we're all celebrating, loving our country, we have shootings on July 4th. I mean, that's, oh, you know, that would sound like a conspiracy theory, right? Of course. Silly rabbit tricks are for kids. And that's exactly how she's treating those who provide trust to her. She's manipulating the masses with this rhetoric, with this extreme indoctrination, these ridiculous conspiracy theories, it's dangerous. They talk about everything but the policy. They are literally elected to transform policy and create a better policy contract between community and government. And what is she doing? She's lying. Even when she admits she's lying, she doubles down on the lie. She still is popular in the Republican Party. She still is a massive fundraiser for the conservative movement. And she has, I dare say, more power than even Mitch McConnell. All right, Attorney Dahl, thoughts here. Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? <laughs> you know, first, just right off the bat, her is talking about July 4th being MAGA month is really offensive. She does not represent the America that my father immigrated to and realized his American dreams. She can say that until she's blue in the face, but she does not represent America. That she has an extreme fringe group that is vocal and sometimes they feel like they're in control, but there are much more of us who really truly embody the American dream. And then in terms of like the legality around the father, um, you know, he, it's interesting, he says, I wasn't there at the time this happened. I wasn't living there, the sister called the police. Um, you know, if I were his lawyer, I would have told him not to say that because it doesn't, he co-signed this permit, which doesn't, his lack of knowledge actually hurts him. It was his duty to make sure his son was okay to purchase a gun. Him not actually asking the sister and finding out what happened hurts him. So it's kind of similar to let's say you know a parent co-signs on your student debt, right? Um, if your if your child has literally defrauded the government and you've co-signed that, you're caught up in that fraud. 
You know, so he, I think, at a minimum, I think he's somehow civilly negligent for this because that, I think, was a fraud. He did know enough, and if he did it, he had a duty to find out more. I think he should be criminally charged as well, though. I mean, the one problem is that it happened like three years before, and and so they can maybe argue it was no longer reasonably foreseeable for her to have happened so long before. But he took an action. You know, it's different than the parents who, you know, he his action was signing that permit. And the reason the government asks somebody to sign if you're under 21 is because you know the person the best. And so that action, he did not determine whether or not his son was able to do it. He clearly just admitted. He didn't he didn't ask the questions. He didn't bother to find out if his son was capable of owning a gun. That to me is negligence. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I actually think the criminal statute would apply. I know it's a stretch due to the time frame, but literally his signature said that I am aware of who my son is. I am aware that my son does not have any issues that will cause harm to others. And I am aware because I have direct knowledge of it, all right? He signed that, that signature means something. And if you don't hold him accountable, the whole reason why Illinois has that law goes out the door. Cuz who can you hold accountable if you cannot hold that guy accountable to the signature and the reason the state legislature passed that particular law. We have more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Thank you for remaining with us today. Let's go to TYT member Greyhound Dragon. I follow Dr. Rich on Twitter and he posted some pictures from an event not too long ago. And I realized I had never seen his entire body to then. It's always just been a little below the shoulders and up. Just a random observation. And damn, that man knows how to dress. Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment very much so. All right, Garden Dragon, the cop figured that based on how the boy looked, there was a good possibility he was a member of the bike stealing gang. The other teams were members of the same gang wearing white face to disguise their criminality. Yeah, all right, uh, Linda, thank you for this, Linda. Linda M says, I knew something was up with the parents when the first thing they did was hire a lawyer before issuing a statement. All right, uh, I think this is, is this Karsham? And thank you for that, Karsham. I w- uh, wouldn't it be better to sue the cop as a private citizen because there's no immunity? The department would either have to let him hang alone or say he's covered off duty too. It, it, that is interesting. The, the bottom line is the guy doesn't have enough money. All right, that, that's the reality of it. Okay, uh, this has been on the internet. Uh, we now have some background information. Let me just go to the video and I will explain. Oh my God. Oh my God, how the f did this happen? 
I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. We got more background to this now. Um, obviously, a scary situation to say the least. CBC reported that a spokesperson for the construction company in charge of the project said that the worker's hand, the hand was entangled with a tagline after he had attached a load to the crane. So what you're watching is not a person that has a good grip. It's, it's already bad. How can you have a good grip on anything in that situation? But he doesn't even have a grip. His hand is caught in the tagline of this particular load. Which means this could have went in a disaster immediately, but it did not. There's a background to this particular construction site. So a video of a worker dangling in midair from a crane at a construction site in downtown Toronto. Went viral on Wednesday after multiple witnesses filmed the incident. Exclaiming things like, "Oh my God, at the scene and encouraging the man to hang on to the line. The crew was able to safely lower the worker down. He was not seriously injured, CBC News reported. The incident took place on Tuesday at the site that's near Toronto's financial district. Here's some more background. The construction site located downtown at the corner of Front Street West and Simcoe Street was the same place where a crane collapsed into an adjacent building July of 2020. Now let me ask you this, attorney. Is there an actionable claim here? Because I've worked a few construction sites in my life. When you are loading and there's a pickup of the load, there's a protocol to make sure that everybody is clear from the pickup. Obviously, if his hand is still attached to the load, that protocol was not followed. So I'm asking, is this a contributory negligence dynamic or may he have an actionable claim against a company that looks as if they have a history of things going sideways. I think your point about their him having a history is is going to be and ended up being maybe one of the most important points because yeah. they had a safety thing in July 2020. What did they do after that? Uh, what kind of protocols? Or is this just you know a, this construction site just kind of poorly managed? And as you said, that there's. Often, some jurisdictions are can have comparative negligence, which means maybe the employee is like 20% liable and the company's 80%, or vice versa. If they both maybe made mistakes that can contribute to negligence, I would think in a situation like this, because it is so extremely rare. I mean, there's tons of construction sites, really dangerous, happening all the time. The fact that this is so rare is because there's so many protocols in place, as you say. So almost just by the fact that it happens, probably shows that there was some sort of negligence on the company's part. Yeah, we're gonna follow this one if there's a development as it relates to the employee here. I feel bad for the guy, but I'm glad he's alive. The officer who killed the young Tamir Rice has been rehired in another jurisdiction as a police officer. We're gonna put that, we're gonna stop that. All right, that's gonna stop today. For those who need a reminder of what happened, here it is.
Okay. Cops pull up. Jameer Rice is a kid doing what kids do, playing. The cop decides to kill a child, 12 year old child. Don't forget exactly what happened that day, all right? That 12 year old child obviously should have never died. The cop who did it was cleared of criminal wrongdoing, even though the cop had a history of other violations. This cop has been hired to be the police again. Timothy Lowman, let's put up his picture along with the picture of Tamir Rice, the kid he killed. Timothy Lowman has been hired for a new police position. Lowman has been hired as the one and only officer of a small bureau in Pennsylvania named Taoga. With a population of about 700 people, okay? That picture you're looking at, that's him being sworn in by the mayor, David Wilcox. The council unanimously approved Loma's hiring. He was hired on a 90 day probationary period. And according to the mayor, the intention was to promote him to chief after a successful period. Well, we're gonna, as I said, put a stop to that. Guarantee you, by the time we talk about this next week, he will not have that job. Now we had to do this before. When he was hired in another jurisdiction, we're gonna do it again. Mayor David Wilcox, let's put up the mayor. Let's go ahead and put the pressure on the mayor here. He said he was unaware of the cop's background as hiring and firing is done by bureau council. Something the mayor said the council president led him to believe had been done and there were no issues. Okay, wait a minute, nobody decided to, I guess, check the references, maybe even Google the name, nobody? The mayor said he set in on this cop's interview and his time in Cleveland came up, but nothing was ever mentioned about his role in Tamir Rice's death. The mayor said he never saw the resume, never looked at it. I mean, that's white privilege for you. Wilcox said that the cop has yet to work a shift and he won't until this is all cleared up. The mayor said he's urging the council to meet and discuss Loma's past and what happens next. Look at what's going down here. The cop once again gets hired, talks to the mayor. They have a program, they're gonna make him police chief in about 90 days, they already know. He's gonna be the top guy in about 90 days, he's gonna be police chief. He has a small town, but he gets a good salary. Nobody Googles his name. Hell, the mayor said, listen, man, I didn't even look at the damn resume. What? I have never in my natural life got a job without somebody looking at my resume, okay? No matter what credentials I come to the table with. Mayor admitted, didn't even look at his resume. This is the second time this cop has been hired after killing a 12 year old that should be alive. Loma was briefly hired as a part time officer by the police department for the small Ohio village of Bel Air in 2018. But shortly after reports came out, he withdrew his application. Now here's what we're going to do at Indisputable, right? Put up the mayor's contact information. 
His phone number is 570-835-5226. Now, I think the mayor, Mr. David Wilcox, wants to do the right thing here. We're gonna help him. The email address is tbsecretary at tiogabureau.org. tbsecretary at tiogabureau.org. Right, let's put the mayor's face up again. Now, Mr. Mayor, let me be very frank with you. I'm not the typical guy on TV or streaming media. If you allow your counsel to keep this SOB employed after killing a 12 year old unarmed black kid, you and me gonna go toe to toe on these airwaves until you do the right thing. That's how we're gonna play this, Mr. Mayor. Once again, I believe you wanna do the right thing until you prove me otherwise. All right, uh, Ms. Dahl, thoughts here. You know, I know there's either two things. One, they didn't check him at all, or the council did check him and they didn't care. Yep. Either one is Either one, not yeah. very good. You know, I, I feel like there this has come up before where police officers have infractions and they leave their particular city and they really need to have a national database where there are these infractions. I mean, there is nothing wrong with making sure that you're hiring a police officer who you're giving a gun to, you're giving a lot of authority, has done his or her job well in this, their prior employment. That will actually gain more respect with the police department. Police officers should be behind this, but right now there's not. And this has come up before. I mean, obviously this is a huge case and it's very obvious to know who he did. But there's other instances where maybe they have lied on search warrants, etc. And they get fired, but it's not a crime. And they go and they get employment someplace else and they do it all over again. So there really should be some sort of searchable database that potential employers can look into and to make sure that they're not hiring the bad apples as we yep. talked about. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Once again, we had that policy solution on the table. It was the George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act. One of the tenets of that particular law would have created a national database mandatory reporting so that not only could members of council look it up, but me and you could look it up. Hell, they know our record. Why can't we know theirs? All right. Rhode Island police, Rhode Island police slam and handcuffed a man, slammed his head into the pavement. Here's the video. man was handcuffed, the man was handcuffed. Now I'm gonna give you some detail, the video is a little grainy. So the start 
of this video, which has been reviewed and independently verified by Target 12, shows Captain Steven Goncharalo and Lieutenant Matthew Janet, wrestling Providence residents Armando Rivas, 21 to the ground and handcuffing him. That's what it shows, all right? So the captain is then seen holding the victim down with his knee as the other officer makes a call on his police radio. Soon after, the captain grabs the victim by the hair and hits the suspect's head on the roadway. One of the officers is then heard yelling, stop moving, as the captain continues to hold his head against the ground. This is the victim, all right? His name is Armando. Mondo, who had left his Jeep Cherokee parked unattended in the travel lane at the fireworks display in Indiana Park Point, July 3rd. That's all he did. This is one of the cops. One of the cops in the video, this is the captain, a 25 year veteran who was the one that slammed his head into the ground. The other officer in the video is Lieutenant Matthew Janet, who has been on the force for 17 years. Now, let me remind everybody at this point, these are veterans of the police force. These are individuals that have rank, they have position, they have supervising powers. They create the culture, they protect the culture, they teach the culture. They are the biggest nightmares on the police force, the biggest ones. According to the police report, when the two officers tried to clear the area of traffic, they decided to have the Jeep towed. The police report also stated, by the way, it's a lot of lies here. Uh, Rivas returned to the car while it was in the process of being told and shouted profanities at the officers. That's according to one of the reports and tried to get into the car. The report says that Officer Janet then tried to arrest the suspect who was wildly attempting to break free and another cop tried to restrain him. So the captain, according to his narrative, ran to the scene and joined the attempt to restrain the individual. They go on to describe the captain as using a palm heel strike, a police technique to the head of the victim prior to him being placed in handcuffs. The report does not mention the slamming of the head, which is seen in the video 12 seconds after you see the handcuffs being placed on the individual here. Um, so they left out pertinent information on the police report, that's called a lie. You see, a lie is what you say or don't say. A lie is what you provide or do not provide in order to deceive someone else, that's a lie. It can be commission or omission, is my point. While the video doesn't necessarily show the entire incident, it shows enough to know the cops lied on the report. Uh, the incident was not captured by neither of the officer's body cams. Um, because the captain has not been issued one according to him. Providence Police Commissioner, let's put him up, his name is Steven Perret. Was unaware his officers weren't wearing body cams, so he's pleading ignorant. A statement made by the commissioner says, and I quote, they were using force and it's disturbing of what I have seen thus far. There's a lot more we need to do on what led up to it. And perhaps witnesses can fill in some, but the 30 second clip I have seen is concerning. And that is why we initiated a review along with the Attorney General's office so we can review it and look at the policy. The report also claimed that the victim 
was reaching for his waistband during the struggle. Once again, where police found a 1.5 inch knife in his waistband according to the report. Um, we believe it indisputable that the police actually added that uh, in order to justify the severe violence they did to this person. Okay, interesting. So Ms. Dahl, as an attorney, you're looking at this, man is handcuffed, obviously he is subdued, right? Maybe the cops are mad because profanities were yelled or there was some kind of back and forth. But that doesn't give a cop a reason to handcuff you and then start bashing your head into the cement. Oh, absolutely. It does not seem justified. The threat against him, if any, should have been finished at the point that they handcuffed him and they had him in custody, essentially. You know, I think your point about lying on the report, I have said this so many times. We need to hold lies on reports and search warrants to a really um, punishable standard. That's why Breonna Taylor was killed, because they lied in the search warrant that they obtained for that raid. So many times um, there are lies on police reports and they get away with it. And that to me, if I lie to the court, I'm gonna lose my license. How as a lawyer am I held to a higher standard than somebody with a gun? And also one other really quick point, a lot of times we see in these excessive force, it is the more senior officers that are involved. It's not a junior officer. I mean, even Derek, mm-hmm. the Derek Chauvin case, when he came on scene is when things escalated. So it's not a matter of a lack of training. It is something that's going on because when they're there a long time on the force, we often see these excessive things. I see it over and over again in the stories that I cover. That's right, they know what they can get away with because they know the culture better than the newbie. That's why they do it. All right, we got more on the other side is indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Okay, a GOP Arizona representative said that she would shoot her own grandchildren about guns. Here it is. Arizona is recognized for two minutes. Thank you, Representative Jordan. I rise in opposition to HR 2377. I have five grandchildren. I would do anything, anything to protect my five grandchildren, including as a last resort, shooting them if I had to, to protect the lives of my grandchildren. Democrat bills that we've heard this week wanna take away my right, my right to protect my grandchildren. They wanna take away the rights of law-abiding citizens to protect their own children and grandchildren and wives and brothers and sisters. Yeah, she says she'll kill her own grandchildren. Put up the picture full mass of this particular lawmaker from Arizona. The bill she's talking about that she's against is HR 2377, which by the way would allow authorities to take guns from people who are deemed to be threats to themselves or others like her. If the law is passed, damn it, she's the first one you need to disarm. She just said on a microphone she will kill her own grandchildren. I think she qualifies for 2377. Let's put up the tweet she's trying to explain herself. She says, and this is Miss Debbie Lesko. The lawmaker says, it never ceases to amaze me. The lengths gun control zealots will go. Wait a minute, Congresswoman, 
you just threatened to kill your grandchildren. But I digress. They turned my speech about protecting Second Amendment rights and my right to protect my grandchildren from violent criminals into a claim I would harm my own grandchildren. Absolutely ridiculous. I wish a Karen would. Ma'am, your words betray you. Ms. Dahl thoughts here. I don't know. I mean, we all heard her say what she said, and that made zero sense to me. Um, you know, it's they always say, you know, the Democrats are coming to take our guns, and you know, Republicans don't have a problem with doing what they want, right? With abortion laws, they didn't try to, you know, make it reasonable restrictions. They they worked for years to completely take away the right for an abortion. Whereas Democrats are trying to do things like red flag laws and then make an AR-15, a weapon of war, be purchased by a 21 year old. I mean, like super reasonable restrictions. Maybe Democrats should just say, yeah, let's get rid of the Second Amendment. I mean, that's what they're saying the Democrats are doing. Yep. And then from there, they can negotiate a more reasonable policy. But yeah. Anyway, it's just the second amendment. We do not have unfettered constitutional rights. The first amendment, which is free speech, we have restrictions on it. You can't defame people, you can't liable on it. Second amendment, sure, it's a constitutional right, but there can be restrictions on that too. That's right. Every constitutional right, every constitutional right requires a statutory responsibility to that right. You cannot violate other people in the execution of your own rights. That is not how this works. All rights come with built in responsibilities for those rights to remain protected. And I echo what you just said, attorney, that it is time for Democrats to show radical leadership. In order to balance radical chaos, you must have radical leadership to balance that out. There is something terribly wrong with the United States Constitution. The Second Amendment is part of it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. People still need health care, so I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform throughout this country, so I won't stop. And you won't stop either.